It's a bit of an introvert nightmare, but it's fun. It's good. It's not every weekend, so it's fine. <laughs> I'm living the introvert dream. I have done nothing. I haven't even left my house to go outside and hang up the washing. Oh, good effort. I made some orange curd. That's industrious. I think I'll accept that as an effort. Thanks. I don't know if it actually set. I can't tell. It's not a recipe I've used before, so we'll see. Hmm. I can't help. I've never made curd before, so I don't know. I've made lemon curd, but it was really very sour, so it didn't get eaten. Let me know. Report back okay. when it's like, set or whatever it does. Will do. Did you have a moment of wonder this week? I got my jab this week, so that was good. Ooh. So I'm like almost fully immunized. Next week, New South Wales opens up again if for the double vaccinated, which is me and my husband. And like all of the emails from the kids' extracurriculars have started pouring in saying, mm. like, we're going to open on this day if you're interested. I've been ignoring that mostly. And instead, last night, I decided I was going to teach my children the importance of Queen. Oh, specifically nice. Bohemian Rhapsody. Good. They were not interested. So we put on the White Stripes instead because my oh, son great. is studying Seven Nation Army for his school music project. They're learning all of the beats and all of the, like, notes because of that song i love it it's so great and he he just came home humming it and i'm like why are you humming seven nation army and he's like it's not it's white stripes and i'm like oh i'm so sorry and then we put on call me baby so we just ended up having this big impromptu dance party it was just really nice it was just really fun just dance around that. with my kids i am a terrible dancer i have no sense of rhythm i love to dance though so i love seven nation army i remember i was in high school i think when it came out and that music video was just the most hypnotic thing ever like if it was on tv you had to watch it you couldn't not watch it i don't think it i've ever seen the clip it's diamonds right so it just keeps oh. doing this and it's just diamonds and diamonds coming out of the screen so it's like this real optical illusion situation oh some sort of psychology at work there i'm sure um i'll send it to you and we'll put it in the show notes yay i, I had to send you a picture of my son thrashing around as if he were an actual baby emo and an actual mm. baby mosh pit he was pretty tired by the time i actually got my phone out to record it but he had been throwing himself around and i was like he's really doing it he's a real baby emo jen will be so proud i am proud good work so how about you? Did you have a moment of wonder? Yeah, mine was today as well because um, I had a really busy morning and then I came home, did my laundry and then there was like this beautiful slither of sun just coming into my mm. living room. So I um, made a coffee, had my donut that I picked up from my favorite sixes and sevens after the gym this morning. Yay, donut! And then I just sat in the sun and read, yeah, I read this book that I absolutely adore and that I'm kind of in the throes of finishing but also not finishing because I don't want to finish. <laughs> Because it's the last in the trilogy and I don't want it to be over. Oh, so, no. yeah. Oh, what book is it? It's A Conjuring of Light, which is the last in the Shades of Magic trilogy by V.E. Schwab. Yeah. Okay. I read her Near Witch, didn't I? 
earlier this year. That's the same Yes, author, you did. Yeah. 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 She's very prolific. She puts out a lot. She also wrote The Secret Life of Addie LaRue, which mm-hmm. I recently read. But I read the first one of this trilogy in January and I liked it. It was like, great. Love the characters, whatever. Then sort of didn't bother getting the second one. Then I got the second one like two weeks ago and I just absolutely loved it. Like I cannot express to you how much I loved it. So then I of course had to get the third one from the library, which I'm now steaming through. I'm about 450 pages through of 630. I just love it. I love them so much. I'm like, yeah, here's another book that I'm going to make my entire personality (laughs) add it to the list. It's a list of Harry Potter, Carry On, Raven Boys, and now this. Great. Okay, I will get this series then. If it comes out highly recommended, I will get it and I will give it a crack. I read the new Margaret Rogerson Mm. book. Vespertine. I really love, she has this amazing ability to create a world, like a complete world with excellent world building in one standalone book. And it wraps up so nicely. And like, it doesn't ever feel like I don't ever need more from it. I feel like that's a really hard skill these days. Everything's a trilogy or a duology or duology. Mm. Like everybody needs a lot more words to finish a story. But I love that she just develops a world, goes, I'm going to set this tale in it. And then boom, off she goes. That's it. Next one's completely different. Like she's done three completely separate books so far. And I really like all of them. Yeah. Underrated standalone books because, you know, sometimes I don't want to commit. I don't want to commit to six or seven or three or two books. Just give me one. Yeah, exactly. And I enjoyed reading it and it was quick. Right. I like any character she writes as well. I think they're not surface characters. They're all very understandable and they're all different. Yay for good reading. That's the best. Reading is the best. Reading is the best. And then I had my heart ripped out by Ted Lasso, but we don't have to talk about that. It was a lot. Well, speaking of books and things that rip our hearts out, this week we're reading chapters five through nine through the theme of vice or vices. Do you want to tell us a story, Jen? Yeah. So I was going to tell a story about nail biting, which is my most enduring vice. But on my run this morning, I couldn't stop thinking about Ronan. Not unusual. Mm -hmm. I'm always thinking about Ronan. Ronan behaves the way he does because he can't live his truth. He has this uncompromising moral code, but he can't always be honest about who he is so he's always contradicting himself and that causes him to like behave the way that he does right and I really recognize myself in that self-destructive behavior so I wanted to talk about that when I was younger I was angry and hurt pretty much all of the time I hid it under this mask of like expected civility where you know there were lapses of course in that but for the most part I always played the part that I was that was expected of me I always had a face on a personality specific to every situation that I was in I was angry about that And I was angry because I didn't feel like I fit anywhere. And I was angry because I was angry about that. Because why should I fit? Why should I have to conform and compromise? And then I was angry because why did I even want to fit in? The fact that I wanted that made me mad. I didn't really know why that upset me. I didn't understand my own values or my own moral code. And when I was wearing one of my masks or when I behaved in a way that contradicted the values I hadn't properly formed yet, I'd act out and I'd self-destruct. I did things to excess, like I stayed up too late or I slept too much. I hooked up with the wrong people. I (laughs) smoked. I drank until I passed out. I took too many pills. All those vices, all those bad behavior, always because I was compromising some honest fundamental part of myself. And I just didn't know that yet. I didn't want to feel anymore. I didn't want to care and I didn't want to hurt. I didn't want to be angry. I just wanted to be numb. I was young and stupid and I did things that I'm not proud of. 
but I don't regret it because I think hurting that much and hurting myself that much forced me to actually get to know myself faster than I may have necessarily done it otherwise. I've done a lot of work on myself, like I've done a lot of work getting to know myself and giving myself a stronger foundation to stand on when I'm facing the world. I feel too much and that used to really hurt, like it just used to hurt being alive. But now I've got a little shell, not one that stops me from feeling, which is what I was trying to do when I indulged in all those vices and I was acting self-destructively, but it's a shell that stops those feelings from overwhelming me. And I now see it as a strength rather than a weakness. Like, don't get me wrong, I still behave self-destructively sometimes. I have that impulse. I still want to watch the world burn, but I can understand it now. It's like things can't hurt me as much because I won't let it. I like myself too much and I trust myself. I've made my peace with who I am, my flaws, my foibles, and I like all of it. And I used to think that I would never find somewhere where I fit in, that I was a jagged piece, a square peg for a round hole. But what I've realized is it's not about fitting in. It's about having the courage to be true to who you are and finding the people who like you because of that. And I know some people just won't like me, but that's okay because I like myself. And you know, that's just what I want for Ronan. I want him to find a place where he's at peace with himself, where he likes himself, where he can see his own value. And so he won't hurt so much anymore either. That's my story about Vice. I want to go back in time and give baby Jen a hug. I know. Me too. She had a lot going on. I always hurt other people when I was trying to self-destruct. I feel like that's the thing I regret the most. Acting out. Lashing out, yeah. I definitely mm. engage in a lot of self-destructive behavior even now. Sometimes it's like, oh, I should go to bed. And then it's like 1am and I'm like, no, I'm just going to scroll Tumblr for <laughs> another half hour. Like, I don't need to. And I know that. But yeah, sometimes we just self-sabotage, don't we? And it can be yeah. addictive. It can become a real vice. Yeah. I think it's just important to stop and recognize when you're doing it and be like, okay, what's actually going on right and you know note that you can make a wrong choice you could make a bad decision but you don't have to keep making it this is the thing that a lot of people forget or don't realize like it i think the human instinct is to double down mm. but it's okay to just be like wait a second i crossed a line there i need to walk that back as soon as i figured out i could do that it changed my life because i was like i do not want to keep going and down the road of this destruction when i could actually just be like yeah okay that wasn't cool of me my bad yeah and remembering that every day you can start over just mm. because you did it yesterday doesn't mean you have to do it today you don't have to wait for monday to start doing the right thing or for next year or whatever you can just do it tomorrow yeah every day is an opportunity to start again absolutely and try to be the person that you want to be and you're not always going to succeed in that you're not always going to have a good easy time but we try and that's what matters yeah thank you for sharing that's all good i too really worry about ronan and he's a fictional character a lot of energy worrying about fictional characters same we wouldn't have a Give podcast if we didn't <laughs> <laughs> true so did you want to summarize our chapters for this week i will barrington welk the latin teacher at aglanby discovers a newfound interest in gansey specifically gansey's research on ley lines and henrietta at nino's mora calls to let blue know that gansey has scheduled a reading blue is currently annoyed by a group of obnoxious raven boys in her section one of whom adam finds her later to ask for her number annoying raven boy president cell phone left his journal behind and Blue volunteers to return it. Meanwhile, Gansey's colleague, Mallory, calls with a suggestion, wake up the ley line. Boys then go and find Ronan asleep at the church. Yes. I love how every chapter there's something and there's such good character development. And can I want to just flag something really quickly. Every narrator in this tale is unreliable. Mm -hmm. And as soon as I figured that out, I was like, oh, of course. Like Blue has these prejudices and we're told mm -hmm. time and time again, that she acts on these prejudices and like I think Gansey of, of everyone is the most not most observant but the most considered of all mm. the narrators because he really is trying every time to reach to an understanding from like he's trying to meet people where they're where they're at um Adam's got his own set of prejudices 
Welk has his own set of prejudices. Like, it's everybody is coming from this. And I think Maggie Stiefvater is a fantastic writer because she can make this so subtle that unless you're looking for it, you don't necessarily pick up on it. Yeah, you're definitely seeing the story through the character's point of view, right? Mm-hmm. Which always comes with its own limitations because you're limited by their own feelings and emotions about a thing. And for our theme of vice, that's something that I really wanted to focus on because, like, mm-hmm. while I know a vice is traditionally, like, a moral failing or a bad habit, like drinking or smoking or gambling or whatever, oh. actually anything can be a vice as oh, long as there is someone you know out there who views it as bad behavior so i kind of wanted to talk about it as like what's the character's view as vice so from all of their perspectives the way they view other characters they'll see different vices in them yeah that's a really good way of looking at it the way i defined vice was is it a coping mechanism that Mm. maybe isn't healthy because i think a lot of things that gansey does would be considered vices but they're not on the surface like a moral failing but i think when other people view them maybe they would be yeah so that's why i was intrigued by that so like with gansey for example i think he views the lynches as fighting as like a massive vice this like really competitive relationship that these brothers (laughs) has yeah it's just not something that he understands and he's so judgmental about it and i actually really wanted to unpick the way that he describes himself like he says he got all these positive things from his dad right and then he says Mm. from their father the lynch brothers got this and he lists like these things and they're all negative and you just get the vibe that he doesn't have a lot of respect for Niall Lynch that I know that Niall was not an excellent role model but he did love those boys he did but at that point it's really not about Niall is it it's about Declan having to be in charge of a family and and we know now because we've read Call Down the Hawk and Mm. Mr. Impossible that Declan has been doing this for longer than we thought like he's actually been kind of working to take over the family business and then when his dad did he's like oh good I don't have to and then he's like great now I'm back into it Mm. so what his dad was doing he was part of it and Ronan didn't have any idea because Ronan was protected so there's that older older sibling resentment Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. 100% going on with Declan I hate that I have feelings for Declan because he's such an aggravating butt but we we have feelings for Declan because we've read (laughs) the other series like when we first read this series we did not have feelings for Declan no because he's a cartoon villain in some ways and we don't get his perspective but I think that he and Ronan are just going to fundamentally be at odds because they don't have the common language like they can't connect Mm. in a way that makes sense for either of them yeah and that's something that I flagged for connection our overarching theme this idea that the things that connect them is actually what drives them apart so the fact that they share family, the fact that they go to church together, the fact that Declan has to like force Ronan to go to school, all these threads that hold them together yeah. is actually the wedge between them, right? And the fact that they can't go back to the barns because yeah. the will says that, that they're not allowed to and they have to live in Agnaby housing and yeah. Can we talk a little bit about Declan using fighting as a vice? Because I feel like mm. he went looking for a fight. Yeah. Why else was he there? Honestly, he was there to pick a fight. He needed to get his feeling out some way. And fighting through it is better. Like, I think Ronan enjoys fighting because Ronan enjoys the physical sense of it. Like, mm. it's like some people, how they get a runner's high. Ronan gets like a puncher's high, I mm-hmm. think. He just, like, he loves to fight because it's... yeah energizing for him like he's present in his body where's that great line yeah i've got it here um when ronan was hit it was the opposite he became so urgently present that it was as if he'd been sleeping before page 73 yeah yeah so there's something in the violence of it that wakes him up and makes him like more fully 
in himself and this i think links back to his like doing dumb stunts with his car and like taking shopping trolleys and driving them down hills and stuff like he does with adam later in the book but i think declan doesn't get the same like sense of release but he needs to get it out somehow and their dad did teach them to fight so this is their legacy that they have this vice of violence Mm. and they're just turning it inward against each other rather than outward Mm. with the family as the core yeah i do also think that gansey sort of views I don't know, I feel like he views Ronan's adoration of as Niall as a vice. Ronan obviously loved his dad, and I think mm. Gansey's a little bit like, mm, come on, buddy. <laughs> yeah, there's, I think Gansey's a little more patronizing, but not in a mean way. He just, like, he sees the difference, he sees the split, the before and after, and he knows instinctively that, like, the reason Ronan is the way he is is because his dad was brutally murdered. Mm. He also knows that Declan is trying to pick up the pieces and make things work, but that he can't do it because he's not actually the parent. And Ronan is abandoned, and that's why he's so angry, but, like, Declan interfering is not actually going to solve the problem. Like, someone else has to do that. Mm. Or Ronan has to just grow up and grow into it. Like, it's just going to be an ugly, awful time. Yeah, if we think about that, like, Gansey's always trying to help Ronan, which I think Adam sees as a vice. Mm. Like, he views that behavior as, you know, Gansey's vice. And then he sees Ronan's self-destruction as a vice. He's, like, he's just being horrific for no reason. The thing with Adam that I think is interesting is, like, he obviously, I think, views Gansey's relationship with money. Like, he he thinks Gansey has a vice around money, right? Because he just doesn't think about it. But Adam has a vice about money because of the opposite, right? Yeah. And I love that moment when he gives, like, it gives Blue a funny look when she asks him, oh, you know, you're not funny about money. Because he is funny about money. He's just not the way. extremely prickly. Yeah. Yeah. Just not the way that he expects. Gansey spends, like, four paragraphs mentally having conversations with himself about how he can try and convince Adam to just cut back on his hours or, like, take a break from work. He's like, if I can maybe frame it selfishly. Like, he spends so much time thinking about it. And Adam is just like, oh, Gansey's an idiot about money. Like, he doesn't, he's made it so impossible for his friend who loves him and wants to care for him to actually talk about this, which it's affecting his health. It's affecting his life. I would say that Gansey views Adam's pride as a vice. Oh, 100% it is. I view Mm -hmm. Adam's pride as a vice. I think he holds on to it because he has this mistaken idea that he doesn't have anything else. He's so image conscious, Adam's like, it's sometimes hard to know who the real Adam is because he's always playing a part, right? Mm -hmm. And like how he doesn't hide his accent from Blue, he really leans into it because he knows that he'll have a better shot with her because of her disdain that he's already recognized in her. Like her judgment is a vice, right? And he's seen that. I I do think that they're, I think they're a bit too alike. Yeah. The best thing about Blue, aside from the fact that Blue is amazing, is that she is Mm. all of them in one. Yeah. I was thinking that too. She's got little bits of all of them, right? Yeah. So she can reflect because she's the mirror, right? Mm -hmm. So she's got all of Ronan's rage and hostility and like disappearing parent thing happening. Mm -hmm. She has, now this is a bit spoilery. Um, she has the same anxiety and desire to like go and do that Gansey does. Mm-hmm. And with Adam, a lot of that same consciousness that money provides for uh, some things and things cost money. She has that awareness that the world is unjust, basically. Mm-hmm. But she doesn't take it to extremes like any of them do, which I think is really important. Yeah, she's balanced. Yeah, just interesting. There's a lot of vice present in here. I mean, we start with Welk coming in hungover because he drank himself into a a stupor on Mm -hmm. St. Mark's Eve. The staff at Aglenby, they like to smoke cigarettes and gossip about the students. Mm -hmm. Um, The fighting, as you said, between Ronan and Declan is a vice in several ways. I think Gansey's quest 
in mm-hmm. and of itself is his main vice. Like it's the it distracts him from actually having to live a life. Um, and I think that Adam's subjugation of his urges and desires is almost like a vice as well. Like he's almost a flagellant in the way that he doesn't allow nice. himself to take the easy way out. He is putting hurdles in his own path with his pride and his disdain for help. He's a martyr. He wants to suffer. He wants to do it on his own terms, but he doesn't he doesn't understand that he can still do it on his own terms and have help, like that it's a collaboration, that it's helping people is not going to, like accepting help means that you can then later give help out. Yeah, accepting help does not make you a failure, does not make your effort less worthwhile just because someone else gave you an assist. Well, exactly. And he, he I think he sees that like connectedness of people like Gansey who have and give as being like a marker of, carelessness whereas mm-hmm, it's not mm-hmm. like if you asked Gansey for the teal polo shirt off his back he would give it no problems it's interesting because I was messaging you when I was reading this section and I was like oh you know Gansey's such an idiot when he like says to Blue oh I'll just pay you by the hour what do you make and she's like I'm not a prostitute mm. and I was saying that Adam has the same reaction to Gansey and you you made the point that Adam knows that Gansey doesn't mean it whereas Blue doesn't know that yet and yeah Adam is so unforgiving yes. of Gansey. You know, he's like, it's actually mean because he always assumes the worst of Gansey's intentions. If you were a good friend, you wouldn't always go to like the worst possible point, right? You would give him some credit. Yeah. And look, having grown up without, I had the reaction of like, I always wanted to pay so I didn't have to own up to the fact that I didn't have enough, right? Mm-hmm. Like I always overcompensated by being too generous, even to my own detriment sometimes, because that made me feel like I could contribute and be part of something because that was a factor of my life growing up that we sometimes did not have enough for the things that would help me to fit in, right? So Adam feels mm-hmm. this, but instead of being like, oh, I'll just pay my own way or like, oh, I'll just be like, no, I'm, I'm always going to have a separate check. He makes it about Gansey being too generous because it's like, oh, you own me. But that's not, I don't think Gansey even thinks about it. He's not proprietary. Absolutely not. No, no. And he doesn't think Adam owes him anything for what he does, right? Because he just doesn't have that relationship to money, which is kind of Adam's problem. But also for Gansey, it doesn't enter his frame of reference. He's got so much of it. To him, it's nothing. Take his money. Take his money. If they have that much, seriously. (laughs) I would be making him pay for everything. And I would too, listen, because it's his parents paying, it's not him. It's not like he's at an after-school job serving pizza to obnoxious students. Yeah, and you know, he's he's benefited from immense privilege and that money has no doubt come to the family through nefarious means at some point in the history. So might as well give it to me. Put it back in the economy. Mm. Buy yourself a not secondhand jumper honestly I yeah look I mean this is definitely coming from that like privilege and relative wealth and yet I am still the person who like I'll buy new uniforms for my kids but then like I will pass those on because oh my gosh mm. no, they shouldn't go to waste there has yeah. to be somewhere in the middle between like profligacy and not I don't know I, I feel like Gansy was not trying to be rude there and nobody gave him the benefit of the doubt I think the funny thing is he's so bad at apologizing. Like, when he tries to apologize to Blue, that is not an apology. And I think the moment that really got me, it's on page 63, it said, instead he thought for a moment and he said, without heat. Now, I thought it was interesting that it specified without heat. Mm. And then he goes on to say, I'm sorry you're insulted, which is not an apology. Saying to someone, I'm sorry you feel the way you feel (laughs) is not an apology. I'm sorry your feelings were hurt. No, active voice. I hurt your feelings. (laughs) (laughs) And then he said, I don't know what else to say. And Blue's like, sorry. And he says, I've already said that. No, you didn't actually. I agree. That was the worst part. Because I just thought like, she misread it. And immediately they were on the wrong foot. 
literally she's sitting there thinking about Gansey in the abstract and then he appears and touches her and she's immediately furious with him like I can't deal with it it is too much my little brain this is not related to our themes it was one of my tangential marginalia but you know when Mora calls her at work and she says you know at least lean on something he called to schedule a reading I love that she saw that phone call like she saw him come into Nino she saw him on the phone she Mm -hmm. witnessed that whole conversation and she has no idea mentally judging him for multitasking and saying that right you know Aglaby boys are great at multitasking as long as all of those tasks exclusively benefit themselves Mm -hmm. literally not the case he's doing that because his friend Adam gave him a phone number they're on this quest and also you know like it's business for her family so it's not really to benefit himself is it but speaking of that like Blue's vice is judgment she is so judgmental she is she likes being the weird kid and I think we find a little bit more out about this later in the book where she's talking about how she's always just been her own unit at school so Mm. she doesn't have any really close friends which feels super lonely but I guess if you have a really good home life it doesn't matter so much yeah she's got a full life right like I saw that in connection when she talks about all the things she's got her fingers in a lot of pies you know she's like involved in a lot of things she's got a lot of jobs she's actually very connected to the community But at the same time, she's always kind of got an eye on the horizon. Like she wants to go to Costa Rica and swim with the turtles and make her own destiny and all these things, right? She does. She wants something and she wants something that she doesn't know if she can get. And that's, I think that that's kind of her vice as well is knowing that she wants something. And she recognizes that vice in all the boys because she says, yeah, there was something hungry about all the boys on page 58. So she senses that yearning. They're all yearning for different things. And that's a vice for all of them, I'd say. I thought that was a really interesting point of connection, like that there was Mm. that hunger in them. They all wanted something, which is why they're bound together. It's when that thing is Glendower that they come together and they can walk this quest for and with each other. But after that, that's when their paths diverge. And that's when I think you have all the soul searching. So that'll be really interesting to look at in retrospect how much that wanting, once they obtain whatever it is they're looking for, Whatever it is. I wonder what they're left with, you know? Yeah, it's the classic, like, once I have that, I'll be happy motivation. Yeah. The truth is, they're going to be left with themselves, because all we are all left with ourselves. And you have to be happy with yourself, so that when you're left with yourself, you're okay. Because at the end of the day, all you have is yourself. Which sounds depressing, but it's not. It's, it's not. not. No. I wanted to talk about page 61. There's the line, Blue used one millisecond of her time to imagine what that would be like, throwing herself at a booth of raven boys and wading through awkward, vaguely sexist conversation. It's her vice of judgment, I think, mm-hmm. there in action. But also, I just love this because, of course, later on, that's exactly what she's going to do. She's going to throw herself in with this lot. Mm-hmm. And now she is so judgy of it. On page 64, she said, Neve had to be wrong. She'd never fall in love with one of them. No, she's going to fall in love with all of them. <laughs> it's okay. She's going to love them all. And she'll be better for it. In this very same section, she goes on to give Adam her number. And she's like, oh, Adam was different. This rule didn't apply to Adam. <laughs> what are you doing? I know. I know. It's She's at that point where she's like, okay, this is going to be really bad for me. But she can't not do it. And that, I think, is the, like fate or destiny or whatever she keeps finding excuses and reasons to make this happen she's finding this connection whether or not she wants to because something in her is receptive to it and something in her knows that it will be better for her to seek that connection out she's eminently sensible like i actually wrote that she doesn't fall prey to like what we would consider vices but she wants something Mm. and so i think she really wants that whatever it is whether it's that connection with someone whether it's the curiosity about who this gansey person is you know she wants something 
She wants to be out somewhere she can see the stars. She wants to make sense of the world. Where's that great line? I think it's page 78. The only thing was she didn't really want to see the future. What she wanted was to see something no one else could see or would see. And maybe that was asking for more magic than there was in the world. She has the same thing Gansey does where it's like bigger than mm. herself outside of her and she just wants to get into it. What a great moment of connection that is actually as well. Mm. And I thought, you know, earlier on that page as well, page 78, she's got that great moment where she's looking at the stars and it says, when she looked at the stars, something tugged at her, something that, let me find it. Urged her to see more stars. Ah. Yes, thank you. <laughs> okay. Something that urged her to see more stars, to make sense of the chaotic moment, to pull an image from it. I love that so much. I used to do that when I was younger. I would go outside and just like lie on the grass while my dog played in the grass Aww. when I was like 16, 17. And it'd be like 10 o'clock at night and I would just lie up and look at the stars and be like, oh, we're all part of something bigger. I'm such a deep teenager. Lol. We all did that, didn't we? Right? We were just figuring out how to be creatives. I love that so much i love that blue's instinct the other thing i noted was that blue's instinct when she hears that gansey is coming the next day is like i don't want to be here i want to be at home sitting at the foot of my beech tree figuring out what my life is going to look like after i meet and potentially fall in love with this person mm. like she wants to be in her little forest so I'm tracking how often we have tree references by Blue. So <laughs> in this section, there are two. There's that one where she talks about the beech tree. And there's a moment where she contemplates a career of counting tree rings. Yeah. So that's two tree references this section. She wants to be in the woods, this girl. I get it. Me too. I have an entire side blog devoted to, like, woods. woods. <laughs> I think Gansey is very sensible as well. And does also does not sort of fall into the same vices. So he and Blue are really similar like that. Mm. Like he even, when he's having a conversation with Ronan in the church about it, he's like, I drink, I do not get drunk. He's very particular about it. He doesn't do these things to excess. Whereas Ronan is just like pedal to the metal, yeah. no seatbelts, helmets are for losers. That's his entire thing. So I, I think it's really interesting to view Gansey's obsessiveness with this this search as like the coping mechanism for his own anxiety that is not particularly healthy. Yeah. He's letting yeah. it consume him. He's letting it direct his life. And, like, he's a teenager and he knows. He knows he doesn't have to be part of society. Like, he says it at one point. Like, he and Ronan are mm. both extraneous parts in this machine of society. And it sits differently on each of their shoulders. Ronan feels like it means he's not needed and Gansey knows he's not required. Mm. Gansey takes it as freedom and Ronan's like, well, I don't have anything. Like, what am I supposed to do then? Yeah, on page 88 he says, he felt a rare stab of resentment at being a teen, being tied to Aglianby. Maybe this was how Ronan felt all the time. I'm like, yes, yes it is. But yeah. also, I love that Gansey's like, I just don't want to go to school. I want to go on my quest. Because he also says he's infected by the chase. So it's very yeah. much a vice, right? Let's talk about Captain Vice, Ronan Lynch. Yes. So he's obviously got the traditional kind of drinking as a vice situation down. Yeah. But, you know, I think I'm going to make apologies for Ronan because that's what I do every day of my life. You know, people just view his behavior as self-destructive, but they don't really know why he acts the way that he does. They think yeah. they do. But Ronan doesn't just drink to numb his pain. He drinks because he needs to pass out to avoid dreaming, right? And yeah. then Like there's a reason. Yeah, like he can't risk dreaming because he's actually in mortal danger when he does. And then he also has this kind of moral vice that stands away in the way of living his life properly. Like he has a vice for honesty, which Adam last time said he wielded like a weapon, that he wielded the truth as a weapon untempered yes. by kindness. And then he has this like real excess anger, like his temper is a vice, uncontrolled yeah. emotion that he cannot contain in any way or form. Like Blue like describes them as a soldier in a war where the enemy was everyone else. And Lucky and Adam are the same, but Adam just doesn't show it. 
Adam is yeah. just as bitterly, furiously angry at, at everything, and he just doesn't show it. And what I think is so interesting in this section is like, you know, Gansey twice calls him out being like, you promised me, and then, but you're a liar, and Rodan says, no, I think you're mistaking me for Declan. But there are two moments in this section where Rodan actually tells the truth, and people just don't know right like mm. people don't know he's telling the truth because he can't be honest about his situation he can't tell them what's really going on with them like when he, they ask him where he found the bird and he's like in my head and they're all yeah. like oh ronan is such a such an idiot but he's actually being honest yeah. like yeah like i think ronan actually has a lot of honor and it must be hard to have that question all the time because of your unreliable behavior yeah the difference between lying and being inarticulate with your feelings yeah. that's a huge gulf right because he is actually being truthful yeah he's actually being truthful but you can't communicate that well they don't really know that magic is real yet no and he knows something is up but he doesn't really understand it and so it's like just ignore it and then the last section you know that adam made the point where he says like believing in magic was something ronan always excelled at because for mm. ronan it is a very real part of his life yeah. but he was raised in this real like secretive way so he doesn't really understand what's going on and something i want us to just track is like declan in this section when they have that fight he says to gansey you know he's your dog gansey you leash him which is a very dehumanizing way to talk about ronan and it's not the last time that someone will refer to ronan as that so i just want to keep track yeah. of when he's referred to as like a dog a demon like a literal yeah. demon yeah because in the bathroom his number is written under the word beelzebub yeah (laughs) which which makes me so happy for its ridiculousness the interesting parallel of course is that gansey describes blue kind of like as a demon being like he's just saved adam from getting a spinal cord ripped out which is a way that you would describe ronan so Mm -hmm. i love that parallel between the two of them Hmm. i think this is a bit of a tricky subject because it's implied that ronan tried to kill himself yeah and that that's what gansey is so afraid of and that's why he takes the risk to call adam to wake him up and say ronan's not at home noah found him the last time Mm -hmm. so noah doesn't have to go looking he's exempt from having to look and that you know he's okay they find him in the church and and that's the other promise that gansey's extracted from him that he's not going to hurt himself again Mm -hmm. and i think that's part of the behavior is that like he is trying to keep his promise he's trying not Mm -hmm. to dream the things that can come out of his dreams and hurt him Mm -hmm. but gansey just doesn't have the context for that no and he also doesn't want to be at Monmouth because then it could hurt others, right? So he mm. goes to the church to keep mm. the others safe and they just view it as reckless behavior. They just view it as Ronan being yeah. inconsiderate and unhinged. But he's really, really not. He's really trying. He's actually like, just, I would die for Ronan. <laughs> I know. It hurts. There's a few little moments of connection I wanted to touch on. I feel like Gansey is like the hungriest for that connection. Mm. He wants it the most of all of them. Like he gets really upset when connections don't take place the way he imagines them. Like he's really worried about how his conversation with Blue went. (laughs) There's that great line, this was going to eat at him all evening. He vowed as he had a hundred times before to consider his words better. And then like a couple paragraphs later, it's like all night. This was going to bother him all (laughs) night because he can't stop thinking about it. He wants to be the good guy he wants to make those good connections i just really love how much of his life is considering other people Mm -hmm. he spends a lot of mental energy thinking about the dynamics between others like he's worried about adam he's trying to you know he he wants the old ronan back but he's under no illusions he's not going to get the old ronan back so he doesn't want to lose this ronan and he talks about that um he spends all of this time also pasting everything into this amazing journal Mm -hmm. which is in itself a work of art and i want to talk about that a little bit when i get into my in-depth marginalia because it was just such a like i love that journal so much i want a copy of it but yeah i just i really think that gansey cares about he wants this 
connection. He really fights for this connection. And the people around him don't honor it as much as he does. They don't consider it as sacred as he does. And that's what is really hard for him. Like Ronan does, but can't explain it. Mm. And Adam is a creature made up of wanting, but not in the same way as Gansey. Um, And it's something about how what Gansey wants is not bought and paid for it's something earned like that's part of the quest for Glendower yeah there's something really deep there like Gansey is building a community right and he fights so hard to keep them together he fights so hard to like establish that common goal between them all and I think Ronan does buy into it like I see a real connection between Ronan and Gansey that is really Mm. deep right they make promises to each other Gansey has made promises to Declan we'll see him go very far on this journey yeah whereas Adam is too he can't allow himself to open to that connection because he's afraid he'll get hurt right he's too skeptical he's been burnt too much right so he needs a longer journey there's not a lot of vulnerability he feels like it's all out there already adam does he feels like his vulnerabilities are in his socioeconomic status and the fact that he has to work i was thinking about this because obviously there's we learn about adam's physical abuse in this section right and so there's obviously a vice here for adam's dad for his violence yeah. but i cannot imagine what it costs adam that ronan and gansey know about this like it must yeah. kill him i think it absolutely does like he hates admitting it he hates he doesn't answer the phone on days that he's not at school and they cover for him it's like he's ashamed of something that doesn't belong to him yeah it's not his shame but he is absolutely just I cannot, yeah, to me, the fact that anyone knows about this would be Adam's worst nightmare, right? Another marker of weakness, another way that he is not good enough. And that's why he's like always, he views Gansey in this really, I think, uncompromising and unkind way because he thinks Gansey is untouchable and that's what he wants to be. And he doesn't, he doesn't allow himself to see Gansey's vulnerabilities. But Gansey has so many. He's just more open about them. He's surprisingly candid. This, I love mm. him. I love him because he's got a good EQ, right? Like, he is a yeah. bit of an idiot at times. He does need to work on his apologies. But he cares about the people in his life. He loves the people in his life. And he's doing his best for them. And he wants them to be okay. And he wants to know what he can do to make them okay. I know this makes me sound like I don't like Adam. And that is not true. I actually do really like Adam. I've got a lot of love for Adam. But yeah. he, he's a difficult character. and <laughs> Especially in this book. He has like, yeah. the next few where he has kind of cracked himself open a bit and let himself be known and know other people. It's better. But this one's a hard text, yeah. Yeah. Because, you know, he's got a lot of growing to do. But it did make me laugh on page 75 when it says, but Adam had already told Gansey he thought Ronan needed to learn to clean up his own messes. I'm like, yeah, Adam, this does not wa- work out well later. Just park this one because these yeah. words will come back to haunt you. Adam isn't able to talk. He, he doesn't really have a leg to stand on here. No. Not for his own messes because he's trying to conceal a mess that isn't his anyway. If he really thought that someone should be responsible for cleaning up their own messes, he would have left his home. Mm. You're right that he has a different set of standards for people like Gansey and Ronan than he does for anyone else. Or just different standards for himself compared to everyone else. He's very uncompromising when he's looking out. But internally, he's like, yeah, well, I'll just I'll just tell whatever story I need to make yeah. myself get on with things. Which, you know, is a yeah. coping mechanism, so another vice i was gonna ask do you think that blue is afraid of the connection the incoming connection with gansey i think there would be an element of fear right because she knows he's gonna die and that's a scary thing she doesn't want to care for this person but she knows invariably she will she already cares yeah and then she she also knows that he's destined to die i just wondered if it's like the connection in general or gansey in specific because she doesn't have friends at school and she doesn't yeah she doesn't really have friends herself. her own age 
you know? Mm. She has co-workers, but it does make me worry for Blue that she doesn't have people even close to her own age other than Orla, who seems like a disaster on purpose. But I wonder because her home life is so rich, right? Like, she's mm. got so much going on. The house is so full of life, and there is a routine, and there is stability and all these things. She yeah. maybe doesn't need anyone else, because she is so sensible. Yeah, she's so self-contained. Yeah, she's a whole human being, right? She's stable. She has her interests. She makes her own clothes. She's just, like, really cool. When I was in high school, and actually this girl was best friends with my best friend's older sister, so, you know, I knew her for a long time. She would wear mismatched socks, and she would put her hair in pigtails, and she would wear, like, bright colour singlets under her shirt, even though that wasn't allowed. And it was like, you know, she didn't have friends at school except my friend's older sister, and she was like, people would try and bully her, but you couldn't bully her because she didn't care. Like, she was so Mm. holy herself. And my mum would be like, she walks to the beat of her own drum, she's super cool, she's just very artistic, you know, like... She is amazing. How do I teach my kids that? How do I teach them not to give a fig about anyone else's opinions? How do I teach myself that? (laughs) I mean, I didn't have that at school. Like, I definitely did not ever, ever, ever feel like I fit anywhere. And maybe I think... But I think you have a lot more F-off energy. Yeah, I do definitely now. And I definitely am very much now I don't care anymore. But like I said, like it took a lot of work for me to get to where I am now. And it's probably only in the last two years that I have stopped being what other people expect me to be. I'm very good at that. I'm very good at falling into a a format. I'm very good at doing that. Like to the point where when I was a receptionist, I would run into clients in public and they would not know who I am or recognize Mm. me because I became a completely different person in a different situation. Yeah. But yeah, like I had friends at school, but if they didn't come to me, I don't think I would have. If my friends in high school in Australia didn't make friends with me, I don't think I would have had friends. And that was fine, I think. Like I wanted friends. Like I didn't have the courage to be cool, though. I wanted to be liked. I was never going to be cool. I wish I had been okay with being weird, though, because I was definitely weird. I wish I could have learned to be unapologetic about it before my 30s that would have been helpful i love that blue has figured it out though man she's no it's great it is great i do worry i you know just from a parenting perspective now that my kid is closer to blue's age than i am to blue's (laughs) age oh my gosh you know from the perspective of somebody who's got like a preteen blue's incredible but also she needs friends her own age so i'm glad that this is coming for her because i think part of having a community like that is that you learn to connect with people who are different than you and you learn Mm. to accept that like limitations of connection like there's this idea of like a perfect soulmate something something but the truth is like even the friends who love you the most are going to occasionally be annoyed with you and you will have fights and like you'll be upset or busy or like needs are going to go unmet and like it's how you can deal with that and this is delving into a bit of therapy but yeah I, I feel like blue needs to understand that you know reaching out for people and adam definitely needs to learn that reaching out for other people and making yourself vulnerable doesn't mean Mm. that you're always going to have an endless supply of people on tap it just means that like you'll build something stronger i think it's also important to learn that friendships ebb and flow which you learn with those kind of like high school relationships because sometimes you're like thick as thieves with someone for like three months and then suddenly that's just called for who knows what reason and then you're like really good mates with someone else yeah um my husband often talks about the concept of the single serving friend like the friend you make at the airport or like someone you meet at a party or a work thing and you just chat to them and you're like that was a great interaction and then that's it like that's the only time you ever talk to them in your entire life but like it's still great it's still Mm. good it still has value hopefully to both parties totally more single serving friendships more of that more like 
connections made that don't have to be lasting and enduring. I just had that two hours ago when I went to these birthday drinks with my mate Meredith and then there was one other woman there who didn't know anyone else so she joined our little party and then we're like yeah we're great mates I don't know what her name is I can't remember I'll never see her again but it was a lovely three hours of my life. I don't know who I sat with at the Ravenclaw table at your birthday but we had a great time. Yeah there you go. Except for the one person who ditched I don't know who they were they just ditched. That sounds about right. <laughs> Can we talk a little bit about, I know we should cover Welk because, mm. Welk, he's just gross, but um, can we talk about Noah? Because I want to talk yes, about how please. many ghost references we got this time around. I counted them. I got three on page 69. Noah's hands seem to belong fewer places than other people's. Mm-hmm. On page 91, he looked less like Noah than the suggestion of Noah. And then on page 96 at the church when he's like creepy, being creepy <laughs> in the back and it says, Noah's gaze traveled past them to the altar, then up to the dark, unseeable ceiling. He said, with typical bravery, the apartment was creepy. Noah, you're a ghost. You are haunting the apartment. You are the reason it's creepy. Oh my also gosh. I love <laughs> that Gansey describes him as the smudgy one and Blue's like, oh yeah, the smudgy one. And they yeah. just all like, what? They just all just accept him and it, it, like to me it's just the miracle of the human brain to just explain the unexplainable it's like i'm just gonna write over this so that it makes sense so maureen johnson wrote this series called the shades of london which is about people who have near-death experiences who can see ghosts and if you haven't read it it's good like it's an enjoyable romp um but one of the things that she talked about after the series or after the first book came out was that she didn't believe in ghosts. But this is why she found it so fascinating is because the human brain is wired to see faces when there are not faces, which is why we can see Jesus in a grilled cheese sandwich and why trees can become grandmothers. Yeah, we look for faces. We turn around, we see something, we're like, oh, it's a face. Oh, no, it's just actually a collection of random stuff that has a nose and two eye shapes, right? Mm-hmm. So I love that everybody has just used their oh yes that's a face and attached it to Noah who clearly doesn't have one because he's a smudge he's a human smudge so funny and I love that he's so creeped out he is a ghost they also just accept things with him they accept that he won't eat they accept that he doesn't always hang out with them they accept that they never see him at school I just don't think they think about the fact that they never see him at school he just wears his uniform all the time right yeah and I would say like if you were going to apply a vice to Noah it's like the vice of passivity but he's passive because that's just a symptom of his Mm. condition I didn't have him down for vice but I had him down under connection and that his connection to humanity is tenuous at times Mm. they're just starting to see it now his hands don't really go where hands go and he looks less like though than the suggestion of noah i love seeing this and i feel like this is such good writing as well because we get so much from adam's perspective and even from ronan's but we don't really get anything from noah's and that's because he's not a person Mm. um we should talk about well okay barrington he's the worst he really is I just have so many issues with him. So again, spoilers coming up here, everyone. He obviously has the drinking vice. He's also incredibly jealous. Like he says on page 55, this was Welk's quest, Welk's treasure, Welk's teen years about Gansey. Like he's so annoyed mm. that Gansey would dare to be involved with this thing. And then yeah. he talks about teaching Latin to the Aglianby boys was punishment enough. Is it? For murder? Is that really enough punishment to teach Latin to rich boys? So do you think that's why he's still in Henrietta? Do you think that's why he came back to Aglenby? Because he didn't just fall into that job. He had to go to university and get accredited to become a teacher. Like that's four, maybe five years, right? Like he had to do that and this is his first or second year back? Maybe third? I just think he has a lack of imagination and though he was a rich kid and he thought he was gonna just like coast by in life and now suddenly that was taken away from him and so the only thing he can think of is oh well I'll just go back to where I was I guess and this will be my life now but why would you like I literally don't understand why he didn't just go right okay I'm gonna change my name and then go and do something else 
just feels sorry for himself. He's just like real pathetic little man. Yeah, and I think that part of his loss of that, like a life he had, he lost a connection, a lot of connections and a lot mm-hmm. of connectedness. So like his his dad's in prison, his mom doesn't talk to him anymore. Uh, he lost his friend Journey. Uh, he lost his treasure hunt and he's haunted, which we don't realize he's actually haunted until like we understand that something happened and like he's got these voices hissing and whispering in his head he's actually kind of a messed up person but the fact that he went back just blows up i don't understand it like i think i would have just gone completely the other way yeah i also would not have gone back because being there reminds him of everything that he's lost right so it's this Mm. constant reinforcement of his lack of connection like he talks about how much it hurts him to see ronan and gansey and adam together right because he says on page 53 all the boys in his class were affluent confident arrogant but the three of them more than anyone else reminded him of what he'd lost yeah that like having an assured place but yeah. I think that that's Gansey more than Welk, right? Gansey is the reason for their assured place. But Welk is nothing like Gansey. They've got absolutely nothing in common other no. than, I guess, looking for ley lines. Agreed. His little monologue about how all of the junior staff secretly hate all of the kids. A, this is just not how a school works. Like, most people who work in a school don't hate children. Most people hmm. who I know who are teachers like the kids and don't like the other teachers more. Just putting it <laughs> out there. And I think that's a reflection of his like his perspective and mm-hmm. i think he indulges in the vice of thinking everybody hates the aglumby boys and everybody hated him yeah i think that's exactly it yeah he really reads into that more than is true he says on page 56 welk knew they were all secretly pleased that he had fallen down among their ranks that is his own self-loathing that he is projecting on yeah. other people being like oh they're all rebelling in it he's such an awful person to work with that they're just glad to be shot of him right like he's being extremely rude to somebody who's making perfectly friendly overtures to him yeah and then the secretary says he's too good looking to be smoking so you know he's got things going for him he's just an awful person he just yeah. feels sorry for himself he just seems like somebody who's unhappy to be around like his energy would be really off yeah because he's not connected to anything right he's not connected to the school because when the other teacher remarks about oh how did you get ronan to go to class he's like oh he's always in class i can just imagine all the teachers just pulling their hair out about ronan Mm -hmm. and he's just doesn't even know about it because he's not connected it hasn't happened to him so it's not important yeah Mm. Um, another connection point I wanted to just raise is that Adam makes the connection between ley lines and energy. Yeah. And he actually has the idea to wake up the line before Mallory calls. So Mallory calls, mm. you know, to tell Gansey, oh, we're going to try and wake up the line, whatever. But Adam says on page 68, 68, I wonder, mused Adam, if we could electrify either the rods or the line. He's so smart. He Go is. Adam. This is the thing. He's actually quite intelligent. And if he could just be okay with that being enough, he would be fine. But he just has to grow. We all have to grow, right? It's the same way yeah. of how I look at Ronan and I can see the way that he just, like, hates himself. And I'm like, buddy, you're going to yeah. be okay. We're going to be okay. I'm okay. 20 years later, I'm okay. You're going to yes. be okay. <laughs> yes, you will be okay. You just have to get through it. Yeah. Just keep going. We should definitely keep track of Gansey's journal, though, because I think that is a point of connection that stretches throughout the whole book. Um, I had a few little tangential ones mm-hmm. i think we've already talked about the other ones but he shouted a word he learned from his sister helen gansey's too polite to swear but if helen teaches him a word it's okay all of the gansies are autodidacts which i really love like they mm. have enough wealth to be able to just go and do stuff 
Imagine. they want to learn about something, they can just go and learn about it. Like, his dad is the same. Has this collection of cars. His sister has yeah. these, like, various careers. His, his mom mom's collects plates. plates. Yeah, yeah. And, like, I am also a bit of a, a bowerbird. I collect a lot of stuff, too, and I like knowing the specifics of the collections. And so that really appeals to me. I really like the Gansies because I feel like my kids are going to grow up and be like, oh, yeah, my mom also had this weird collection of plates, only mine were midwinter. But, yeah. And, I mean, that's also why they don't really blink at Gansy just going off and following his little quest and he's like in Wales and now he's here and now he's here and he's going to go to the school in the middle of nowhere because of mm. whatever. It's wild. Yeah, it was a, what, like a couple of Google searches and a four hour, 40 minute conversation with his dad or something. Like, mm. the thing is, Gansy's an adult and has been for a long time. Like, his parents trust him to do what needs to be done. And because they've given him that measure of like, yes, you are responsible and yes, you are able to do this. He just doesn't think about it as being something that other kids have to earn I guess I don't it's the know. same as blue right blue has yeah. always been an adult yeah I but I yeah I think I see a lot of parallels between blue I just love that he had to learn all of his swear words from his older sister it's so funny <laughs> so what about you did you have any more tangential, tangential? I yeah. did yeah I just wanted to flag on page 59 when blue says she just liked the name because for a five foot tall girl pygmy tyrant sounded like a career I just love that <laughs> so funny we're like, both on the tall side so this does not apply to us but I love short girls. They are so little. So cute. Some of my BFFs here are short and I just love them. I love mm. them all. I love being tall. Like, don't get me wrong. I absolutely, like, I know some people have hangups about being tall, but I do not have that hangup. I love being tall and I love having short friends. It makes me so happy. Yeah, same. I just love the idea of Blue being so little and Ronan being so big and then the two of them standing next to each other. It cracks me up. The other thing I wanted to flag is... The other thing I'm counting, I guess, is tracking references to odds or coincidences. So we've got mm. Blue saying, you know, what are the odds? It couldn't be a coincidence. And we've got Gansey saying he doesn't believe in coincidences. That came up in the last Yay. section as well. So there's a lot of that resonating through. Yeah. So I just wanted to flag the sentence because I just think it's beautifully written. It's on page 92. And it's just, how strange this season should be held captive in one breath of trapped air. That's in the church, isn't it? Yeah, it's when Gansey smells the incense and he's thinking about all the weddings and things that he's gone to and how it reminds him of summer. I just love that as a phrase. Like, it's just so good. It's so evocative and beautifully written. And I love it. My last bit of tangential marginalia is Gansey talking about the bird that Ronan has brought back with him. And he says he wasn't sure he would want to touch something that looked so easily destroyable. Page 94. Hmm. And I love that Ronan is already cradling this bird and loving this bird because he is a paradox. Like he is 100% happy to hold on to something that's so easily destroyable when everyone thinks he is just destruction in human form. And I love him so much. You know, he pretends he doesn't care, but he cares. He cares a lot. They're all lovely. They all are amazingly well-drawn characters. Do you have in-depth marginalia? If you do, I would like to hear it. So my in-depth marginalia is page 66. Gansey hated seeing him like this, but nothing he thought of in his head sounded like something he could actually say to him. Adam wouldn't tolerate pity. So the context of this is they're at Nino's. Gansey's noticed that Adam's looking tired because he's been working and studying too hard. And so he's wishing that he could do something to help, but he knows whatever he offers will be rejected because Adam is way too prickly about mm -hmm. it, right? So he's having this internal debate with himself being like, what if I phrase this like this? What if I do this? Whatever. Um, I think it relates to our theme of vice because we've got Adam's pride. And we've also got Gansey's saviour complex, which is a bit of a vice. Yeah. And also both their relationships to money, right? Like, the money vice is a big part of what frames this. Now, I was watching the final episode of season two of Sex Education this week. 
um, like I'm very behind on the show, but I decided to watch it this week. And there was a piece of dialogue in this episode that really put me in mind of the scene and of Adam in particular. So I wanted to share that. So in this moment, Otis, the protagonist, is finally having an honest conversation with his very unreliable father, Remy. And Remy says this to Otis. Just try and stay honest, because once you start lying, it's very hard to stop. You know, when you're young, you think that everybody out there really gets you. But you know, actually only a handful of them do. All the people who like you, despite your faults. And then if you discard them, they will never come back. So when you meet those people, you should just hold on to them really, really tightly and don't let them go. I think that is something Adam needs to hear. I think what we need to do is to let the people who love you love you. I just really feel for Gansey because he cares so much and Adam just won't allow him the space to show that. And Adam needs that love, but he won't allow himself to accept that either. He feels like he has to be on equal footing before he can accept it. So I think it's important to meet people where they are. That means both helping them in a way that they want to be helped. But you could ask that classic thing about, do you want to vent or do you need advice? Like, what do you want from me here in this situation? But I think it's also about letting people help. So it can be unkind to question the motives of those who love us. And I think Adam is unkind to Gansey here. You know, he doubts whether he's sincere and they're like, it's just the whole lot of it is just awful. And I think we shouldn't doubt people's sincerity when they love us. So for me going forward, how I want to use this, I'm called to be more gracious and kind of accept advice and support in the spirit in which it's given, which is with good intent. 99% of the time, right? Mm. If my knee-jerk reaction is to be mean about it and to push people away, I probably need to sit with it and look a bit deeper to see why I'm reacting that way and what's actually going on with me rather than putting it on them. So, yeah, that's just what that little piece of marginalia called me to do. Everybody is trying their best, probably. Yeah, let's just assume that. Let's not go for yeah. the negative assumption. <laughs> I don't remember which razor it is, but one that my husband says is we never ascribe to malice what can be explained by stupidity or ignorance ignorance so someone might just not know how to respond to you in the way that you need but it doesn't mean they're being unkind on purpose i love that and i need to like print that out for work <laughs> i'll I see feel if like... i can find the actual proper quote but it does actually make my life a lot easier if i remember people aren't trying to take me off they probably just don't know what i need from them or mm. the situation and then i could go oh they're you know you know they're just ignorant and actually taking that moment just to like think about it does help when i'm getting really annoyed or really frustrated which is a lot of the time having that pause really does reframe things and stops my day from spiraling completely out of control so yeah it's important what was your in-depth marginalia? Okay, I wanted to talk about Gansey's journal. The specific line was when Blue had it. She didn't know that it belonged to Gansey. She's really hoping it doesn't belong to President Cellphone. And I, I guess it doesn't because he's not really President Cellphone. <laughs> but she's reading through it, flipping through it, looking through it, and describing its character. And on page 84, it says, More than anything, the journal wanted. It wanted more than it could hold, more than words could describe, more than diagrams could illustrate. So Blue's been perusing this journal, and she's just had this conversation with Adam, elegant boy, and given Adam her number, which is a whole other thing, because she keeps telling herself she's sensible and she's not going to do that, and then she does it anyway. And it's about wanting more than she can actually hold. The journal is the same as Blue in that moment, which is what I really Mm. love. Now, this journal is like the connection of all of Gansey's research and ideas, and it's like his anchor, his, his touchstone in a way, to this quest. It's the place where everything goes when he thinks about it, but it's not actually the quest itself but it is like the artistic representation of it. Mm -hmm. And I think that there's something to be said for making these 
you know, like it's art for its own sake. You know, the way I connect it back is that it could be a vice if Gansey spent all of his time on this quest, but he really pushes back against that. Like he does have school and he does have other things that he's worried about. And, you know, he's balancing looking after his friends as well. So he is pushing back against just throwing his whole life into this quest, but he also really wants to find this and it's more than he can actually contain this wanting. Mm. So it kind of, the journal itself represents Gansey. And now what it reminds me of in my life is my passion projects book. Mm. And I was thinking about this because I was flipping through it when I was looking at all of my works in progress that I have yet to finish and how sometimes I spend a lot of time and I think I'll put some pictures up in the show notes so people can see what I mean sometimes I spend a lot of time designing the pages to check all of my little stages off Cute. sometimes they're extremely detailed oh that's lovely and very beautiful for projects that I have no intention of like really getting stuck into for a couple <laughs> years like that one's slated for mid next year if we go back to normal and then some I've already finished the quilts on but like I still have the swatches stuck in because they're beautiful I have like a furniture catalog from the 1950s <laughs> with things that I want to find vintage things that I want to find glued in here so I have a little journal of my own it's not you know about a sleeping Welsh king but it does remind me that like I do have this text that I'm working on that is my passion project book and it's all the things I'm making and doing it just tells me that like creating a path to the summit is as much a part of getting to the summit as getting to the summit right Mm. When I sit down and I write out all of the intention of doing this quilt or finding this piece of furniture, like that is part of the mindfulness of making something or restoring something or collecting something. And I think that there's something really beautiful about that. And it kind of reminds me of bullet journaling as well, how people like plan their days, but in such a way that they're like sitting down and making art out of it too. Mm. And I really love that. I think there's something really nice about that. If it works for you, it works for you. And if you love it, you love it. And I think it's nice to just spend a bit of time making art. Yeah, it's not the destination, it's the journey, right? So yeah, it's the absolutely. whole process. Yeah, I love that. Good on you, Gansey, for having a beautiful journal full of stuff. It's like fan art of his quest. <laughs> it totally is. Oh my goodness. Did you have a character you wanted to spotlight? I do. And it will not surprise you that I'm going to spotlight Ronan. He's just struggling with so much and he's hurting so much and he can't even on it be honest about it. And you know, it's not your usual kind of teen angst. He literally cannot voice what's going on with him because he's just been conditioned to secrecy about it. So yeah, I think he's just in a horrible place where everyone thinks he's massively selfish and self-destructive for no reason. And he's actually just doing it to avoid getting murdered every night. So, you know, Ronan Lynch, my love, I'm sorry. You deserve support. And to everyone going out and going through hard stuff on their own, for whatever reason, you also deserve support. And I wish I could be there for all of you, but you're not alone. And hang in there. It will get easier. It's not hard forever. The more you go through it, the better you are at going through it. Yeah, we become more resilient, even when we shouldn't have to. Um, who would you like to spotlight? Well, it comes to no surprise, I'm sure, that I want to spotlight Gansey. To all the dad or mom friends who worry about their friends, who worry about saying the wrong thing, who feel absolutely mortified when they do say the wrong thing and obsess about it. Oh boy, I've been there. I see you. Mm. I too want to take care of everybody and I worry. And there have definitely been nights when I've gotten up in the middle of the night to check up on my housemates to make sure they're breathing because you worry. You just worry. I'm a worrier and Gansey is also a worrier. Mm. And I just, I really felt it this week. Like he's so scared of, of losing Ronan again. Like he's lost an iteration of his friend and he's so scared of losing him all the way and it just hurts to think that someday he might mm. when it matters so much to keep him so it just was really hurting for Gansey this week a worthy spotlight he's great I love him 
And here starts our tradition of spotlighting these two characters. (laughs) Right. Yeah. That's all right. I'll find some villains to spotlight too. (laughs) We'll mix it up, I'm sure. Well, next week we're going to be reading chapters 10 through 14 through the theme of mystery. That'll be good. I'm very excited about. I love mystery. I'm excited to keep reading. I love this story. Me too. Well, I will see you next week. I can't wait. Look forward to it. Bye. Bye. Thanks for joining us today. Marginalia Pod is written, edited, and produced by us, Jen B and Jen V, with additional editing and production support by Simon B. If you enjoyed it, we'd love it if you'd subscribe, rate, and review it on iTunes. Your support means the world to us. We'd also love to hear from you. You can email us at hello at marginaliapod.com. Our music is by Scott Buckley. Many of the things we've mentioned are in the show notes, or you can find out more about us and the podcast at www.marginaliapod.com.